Hebrews chapter 11, we will read one verse there in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to go and see the event that Hebrews 11 is talking about all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 6. We are continuing our series of messages on faith. Last week, we dealt with the question, what is faith? We found that according to Webster, faith is belief and trust in and loyalty to God. It's complete confidence in God. The word that's translated faith in the New Testament actually has this meaning, firm reliance and confidence. And so then we examine the description of faith that we're given in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the first verse. Faith is the substance, the foundation, the basis of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things not seen. So now we're going to ask today this question, how important is faith? And the title of this message is just simply what faith will do. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And over in the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, and we're just going to read a couple of verses there, but in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And then down in verse 22, the scripture says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. How important is faith? Well, faith is vital to every aspect of our lives, folks. We are saved by grace through faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. We walk by faith, the scripture says, not by sight. So we come into the family of God, how? By faith. But as a child of God, as a member of the family of God, then as a member of one of the Lord's churches, how are we supposed to live? Same way. We walk by faith. We live by faith. I have come to the conclusion, and this is I always like to give a warning, this is opinion time, but I have come to the conclusion that one of the reasons that we as the Lord's churches and that we as God's people don't get just a whole lot accomplished for God today is because of our little faith, because of our weak faith. If you look over, and we're not going to take the time to do that this morning, but to Matthew chapter 17, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up into the mountain, and he was transfigured before them. He left the other apostles down at the foot of the mountain, and a man came to them who had a son that was demon-possessed. The man called his son a lunatic. That's what the King James says. But this demon that possessed him would throw him into the fire. He would cause him to have fits and so forth. And when Jesus brought Peter, James, and John down from the mountain, the rest of the apostles said, we can't heal the boy. We can't do anything. And the man asked, why couldn't they do it? And Jesus looked at his apostles and said this. He didn't blame the man, the father of the little boy, for not having enough faith. He looked at those apostles and he said, because of your little 
faith. They couldn't do great things for the Lord because of their lack of faith. And again, I say we don't do great things because of our lack of faith. How many of us who are saved today, just think about this. How many of us are saved today have enough confidence in God to put him in complete control of our lives every day? Just say, Lord, you take my life. Lord, you do with me today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, for the rest of my life. Lord, you do with me and with my life whatever you want to do. And I'll praise you in it. I'll glorify you in it. I will witness of you in it. I will just do what you want me to do. You know, there was a man like that in the Old Testament. His name was Job. Job lost absolutely everything. But here was his faithfulness to God. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. There's the great faith of Job. And I wonder how many of us have that kind of confidence to just say, Lord, you take over. You take charge. See, that's what it takes to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke, the ninth chapter, and the 23rd verse, Jesus said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Here's a very key word, daily, and follow me. Take up his cross daily. Every day I get up is what we're supposed to do. Every day we get up, say, Lord, this day is yours. Lord, I'm following you today. Lord, I'm, you know what it means to take up your cross? We talked about that before. You see a man carrying his cross in that day, you knew he was condemned to die because a part of the punishment of crucifixion was you had to carry your cross to the place of crucifixion. So a cross just designates a dead man. And so Jesus said, pick up your cross, die to self. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, you've got this day and what you do and what you intend is what really matters in my life. We are to do that on a daily basis and if we would, I think it would change our lives in a very positive way as God's people. What did Noah do when God warned him of the coming judgment and the destruction of the earth and all of the inhabitants of the earth. Well, Hebrews 11:7 answers that question. Again, we go back to that part of our text and it says by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. There's two key words indicated in that verse. Faith and fear. Do you realize that fear is a great motivator? Fear will make you do some things that you wouldn't normally do. Somebody said a hero is just somebody who feared to the point of doing something about it, you know. And that's what fear, fear will cause us to move. But then when you have fear mixed with faith, and that's what Noah had. Now, when we talk about fear, this is not the usual word for fear in this verse. The usual word of fear from the language is the word phobia. We get our English word phobia from it. Okay? Fear. But that's not the word here. The word here is a word that talks about being circumspect. It talks about reverential type of fear. So here Noah had a reverence for God. Circumspect literally means to just look around as you walk, to be careful. Noah was being careful and he had a reverence for God. And when God said, here's what's going to happen, Noah believed him. He trusted him. He had full confidence in him. And we're going to see in this message what fear, what reverence 
combined with faith will do and will cause us to do as children of God. And the first thing I want to point out is that faith will cause us to hear God's Word. Have you ever thought about needing faith to hear the Word of God? You say, Preacher, I don't need faith to hear the Word of God. I can just sit and without faith listen. I say, okay, I, I accept what you say. No, you need faith to really hear the Word of God. Look what it says here in Hebrews eleven seven. Noah, being warned of God moved with fear. Being warned talks about being divinely commanded. Here God spoke to Noah. God said to Noah, I'm fixing to shut it down. This thing is going to end. And Noah believed God. You see, Noah had, and we'll get into this a little bit more in just a moment, but Noah had a family history of faithfulness to God. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But Noah trusted God, believed God, heard what God had to say. Noah believed in a God who is absolutely sovereign. You know what it means to be sovereign? Nobody tells God what to do. God is God. God can do what he wants to do. And listen, because God is God, whatever God does is right. It doesn't matter. If I disagree, if I agree, it doesn't matter. God is always right. Not only did he believe in a God who was absolutely sovereign, he believed in a God who was perfectly holy. The book of 1 John chapter 1, John says this about God, and I'm sort of paraphrasing it here, but there's not one speck of darkness in God. Not one little bit. Darkness in the scripture is a picture of sin, and there's not a bit of sin in God. God is completely holy. And he believed in a God who had unconquerable power. If God said, I'm going to send a flood upon the earth, he's going to send a flood upon the earth. He has the ability to send that flood. And when God spoke, because of his faith, Noah recognized the true identity of God. It's God speaking. It's God saying, I am going to destroy this world. You know, we have folks today in our world who want to deny the sovereignty of God. They want to limit the power of God. God doesn't have any power over me. I beg your pardon, he sure does. You realize what David said, there's but a step between me and death. That's all it is. If God designs and desires to stop that heart from beating, to stop those lungs from working, there's not anything we can do about it. And so God has all power. God has power over all people. Noah didn't have those kind of reservations in his day, did he? Noah recognized God. And in a day when God's people were getting just like the world around them, and I'm not talking about today, but today would be just, remember what Jesus said, by the way, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of God. In the days of Noah, God's people were getting just like the world around them. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, the end of that chapter said, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And literally it's saying that men began to be called by the name of the Lord. During that time, men began to be called by the name or thought about the name. I'm a child of God. And, and they would be designated in that way. And then we get to the sixth chapter and the sons of God, the children of God, began to intermarry with those who were not gods. And the scripture says monstrosities or giants began to develop on the face of the earth. And the wickedness that was there began to just get more and more and more. Noah wasn't like that. In fact, the scripture says that Noah was 
perfect or he was complete in his generations, that he was a just man. That word perfect talks about the integrity of Noah and we'll say more about that in just a moment. His family history was one and I'll point out in, in a moment also, his family history was one of obedience to God and was one of faithfulness to God. Now when God spoke to Noah, what does it say God warned him about? Of things not yet as seen. Okay? See, faith caused Noah to believe the unbelievable. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, God said, the end of all flesh is come. And then God said, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters up on the earth. As of this time, it had never rained on the earth. It had never rained. Did Noah know what a flood was? Kind of doubt it. But it had never rained at this time. How was the earth watered? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, a dew came up from the earth and watered the grass. But it had never rained. And God says, I'm going to flood the earth. And then God says, I want you to build an ark. Now, there are those who want to picture the ark as a modern day ship. Well, folks, I don't think the ark looked like a modern day ship. In fact, if you read the dimensions and the description of the ark, it was basically a floating box. And God loaded that with all of the animals. But we'll talk about that one of these days in the future. But God said, here's what I want you to do. And here's how I want you to build it. And you notice we don't see Noah shaking his head and saying, now wait a minute, Lord. We don't see Noah questioning God. Noah believed God. And his faith in God, his belief in God, put Noah in a position where God could use him. And Noah built the ark. See, Satan has waged a vigorous campaign in our world today and in our age today to turn mankind away from the belief in a sovereign God. You would be surprised at how many people claim not even to believe in God. Or at least if they believe in God, they believe in a God or the God they want to believe in is one that they can manipulate, one that they can use to their benefit. And that's what Satan has done. And some have fallen prey to that, but Noah didn't. And you and I don't need to. And I'm going to ask you this morning, do you believe in the sovereignty and the power of God? If we're truly people of faith, truly people of faith, we will be warned by God. We will be warned by the Word of God. Faith will cause us to hear God, but here's something else faith will do. Faith will cause us to heed the Word of God. Faith will cause us to hear the Word of God. It will cause us to heed the Word of God. Noah obeyed God. It says Noah moved with fear. We've already talked about that act, moved with fear. He acted with reverence toward God. He didn't just hear God say, I'm going to destroy the earth and all the inhabitants of it. When God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, Noah did something. He didn't sit around waiting for a sign. You know, the folks today, they're looking for signs all over the place. You know what Jesus said about signs? An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. No, we act by faith. We don't act by signs. Years ago, see, when God says something, you need to believe it. Years ago, I mean years ago, I mean years and years ago, okay? When all of this God is dead stuff came out and, and issues about the Bible came out and everything, there was a bumper sticker that went around that said this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That bumper sticker's wrong. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. 
You can say, I don't believe the Bible all you want to say, but the Bible is still the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. So it doesn't matter whether we believe it. Well, it does in one sense, but in reality, it doesn't matter whether we believe it. God said it, and that settles it. Noah heeded the word of God. Look down, if you turn back, if you mark Genesis chapter 6, just look at verse 22 for just a moment there in Genesis 6. Look at what it says. And he says it twice, by the way, for emphasis. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. What's he saying? Noah got after it. When God said, I want you to build an ark, Noah said, I'm going to build an ark. I'm going to build an ark just the way you said build an ark. And it says that God did all or in totality, in completeness, what God commanded him. Noah didn't try to do things his way. He didn't suggest to God, I've got a better way. You know, I think we do that a lot of times as God's people. We know what God's will is and we try to figure out a better way, a human way to do God's will. Well, that, we can't do that. We do it the way God said to do it. There's not a better way to do anything than the way God said to do it. We need to listen to God. And here's how Noah obeyed. Back in Hebrews 11, he says this, Noah prepared an ark. Isn't that simple? God said, build an ark. Noah prepared an ark. You say, that's too easy. Well, that's what happened. Noah got started. His faith influenced his actions. Again, faith will cause us to heed or to obey the word of God. I said he didn't argue with God on how to build it. He didn't ask God how he was going to finance it or anything like that. He just did what God said. He went out and got the kind of wood God told him to get. He found the pitch God told him to get. And he built it just the way God wanted it. Noah was commissioned by God to build the ark and to fill it. And immediately he set about doing what God said to do. There's a lesson for us there, isn't there? When God says do it, don't look for a sign. Don't ask the world how to do it. Don't even use our own human intellect to figure out a better way than God has to do it. Just obey God. How do we respond to God's instructions today? You know, there are folks, they're saved folks. And there are massive numbers of saved folks. And I'm not going to talk about our numbers here. Let's just think about our numbers in the United States. Massive number of folks who profess Jesus Christ as Savior, who are church members who never show up to worship God. You know what they're doing? They're ignoring God's instruction to assemble together. Do we make excuses? Well, I can't do what God wants me to do because, and we begin to come up with all of these alibis and so forth to try to excuse ourselves out of serving God. You know, when the Lord was dealing with me about the call to preach, my main thing was, Lord, I could never, and I probably will never know, but Lord, I could never know as much as my pastor knows, and I could never get up and preach like he preaches. And so those of you who knew him might say, Amen, you're right. But see, God didn't call me to be him. God called me to preach his word. No, we don't need to alibi. We don't need to make excuses. We don't need to start out serving God and then quit serving God. We just need to do what Noah did and follow God fully in obedience to him. Faith will cause us to hear the word of God. It will cause us to heed the word of God. It will cause us to live holy lives. Live holy lives. Look at what the text says about Noah here in the seventh verse of Hebrews 11. It says that, by faith, Noah built the ark. He, he prepared the ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world. 
by which he condemned. That word condemn means to give a judgment. See, Noah didn't go about seeing everybody and walking up to everybody and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's not what it means. God condemned the world and Noah condemned the world by his life. What it means is the way Noah lived judged the world. Noah lived for God. Noah lived in faithfulness to God. He lived in obedience to God. And listen, when you live in obedience to God, you will reveal by your life the disobedience of the world. We don't have to go out and condemn people. Now God's word says certain things are wrong. And when we preach, and I appreciate what Sister Vicki said. I, I saw her post on Facebook this week. It was, I liked, first of all, what it said. It said, you, what is it can't be the salt of the earth with sugar-coated preaching. And she put down below it, not at our church. There's no sugar-coated preaching. And I pray that there never is. But you can't sugarcoat things and you can't go out and be like the world and let the world see a difference between a child of God and somebody that's not a child of God. But if we will live obediently to God, if we will live faithfully to God, the difference will be evident in our lives. And that's what Noah did. He chose to be faithful and his faith showed him to be different from the world. Noah, the scripture says, was a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 6, it says he was perfect, and that means complete again, in his generations. And it says he was just. He was justified. He was a child of God. And he preached righteousness. What did Noah do? Well, if you read and you study Noah's life for 120 years, he built the ark. And for 120 years, he preached. Now, he had a very unpopular message. He had a short sermon said, Preacher, I wish you'd learned from Noah. But Noah only had a four-word sermon. You say, learn that one, preacher. <laughs> We'd like to hear it sometime. Noah only had a four-word sermon. You know what a sermon was? Repent. Judgment is coming. And for 120 years, he preached. Repent. 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 Judgment's coming. Now, I used to get bothered when I would preach a message. And, you know, sometimes we preachers put together a message and we think, boy, people are really going to respond to this. And then you preach it and nobody walks the aisle. And you get a little feeling sorry for yourself. I used to worry about that. But then somebody pointed out that Noah preached for 120 years and he ended up with only eight converts. So I don't worry about that anymore. And all of those eight converts were his family. But for 120 years, he preached while he built the ark and he preached that message. Noah took a stand against sin, against the sin that was going on in the world. And if you have faith in God, and if you are moved with reverence or fear toward God, the devil and his crowd will know where you stand and they won't like it. Amen. Noah refused to be intimidated. I can imagine what people would say. I don't know whether they did or not. This is from the book of imagination, but I can imagine. Here's Noah. It's never rained. And Noah's building this big box-like thing. And he says, it's coming a flood. Noah, what's a flood? Noah, what's rain? Noah, you're crazy. You're out here preparing for something, some flood or something like that. And it has never, all we have is water coming up from the earth. They might even have told their children, you see, don't go over there. Crazy Noah lives over there. Don't go near Crazy Noah's house. He's building this big box and he may put you in it. 
All of the things that could have been said about Noah building a, and he didn't even know to call it a boat, he called it an ark, right? Building a boat in the middle of dry land. But he refused to be intimidated. If people mocked him, if people made fun of him, he refused to be intimidated. I don't figure Noah was too popular with the in crowd in his day. He was probably an outcast in his day. But listen, no man of God who preaches the word of God will be popular with the world. Especially in this day when we stand up and preach the word of God. Now, the antithesis, and that's just a fancy word for saying opposite, okay. The antithesis of Noah was a man named Lot. You remember Lot? The scripture says of Lot that he pitched his tent towards Sodom and he ended up sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now it also tells us in 2 Peter, the 2nd chapter, the 7th and 8th verses, twice it tells us that you know what was going on in Sodom, by the way. Perversion, homosexuality. And when that was going on, Lot, the scripture says twice, was vexed. And by the way, there's two different words used there. In fact, let's just turn over to 2 Peter for just a moment. I've had some nodding their heads. They don't want me to have a four-word sermon, so I'm going to go a little bit longer, okay? Verse 7 says, And delivered just Lot, that means righteous Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That word vexed has the idea of being worn down, being worn out. Are you worn out today by the filth and the filthy conversation of people? I told the Sunday school class, here I'm taking a chance on being called sexist, and I understand that. But there was a day when women and and ladies didn't say some things that come out of the mouth of females today and I'm not even going to call them ladies. A lady doesn't say certain things. And in fact, a lady conducts herself in a different way than many women conduct themselves today. And there's a lot of people being held up today, a lot of females being held up today as examples for young women. They don't need to be examples for anybody. They need to learn what it means to be a lady. You say, preacher, you're getting out there on the edge. I don't care. I'll tell you why in just a moment. Look at verse 8. For that righteous man, talking about Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That word vexed means to torture, to afflict with pain. Lot heard what was going on. Lot saw what was going on. And it was torture to him as a child of God. To hear it and to see it. Are you tortured? Don't, you don't have to answer this, but are you tortured by what's going on in the world today? Does it just give you an inner pain that you can't explain by what's going on today? Now listen to this about Lot. Lot sat in the gate of the city. You know what that means? I read this the other day. To sit in the gate of the city meant that you were considered one of the leaders of the town, one of the elders, and in Sodom it would mean an open-mindedness toward sin. You know what people say today? Oh, preacher, you shouldn't be so hard on sin. Everybody has a right to choose. And they do. But God's word condemns sin. And I'm a preacher of the word of God, and so I must condemn sin. Listen, God loves sinners. God hates sin. Amen. God loves saved sinners. He loves lost sinners. <laughs> but he hates sin in the lives of both. And so here's Lot in Sodom being worn down, being tortured by what's going on, but he doesn't want to say anything about it. 
Might not get reelected to the city council if I do. And so Lot just keeps his mouth shut. But on the other hand, we have Noah, a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't popular, but again, no man who preaches the word of God, no man individual who declares the word of God, no woman who shares the word of God is going to be popular with this lost world today. Now you can either be a Christian or you can be a Christian. You know? You can be somebody who says, I'm going to stand for the word of God and I'm going to say what the word of God says. Or you can be like Lot and say, well, I want to be popular. Being popular is more important than being godly and being pleasing to God, and so I'll just keep my mouth shut. Listen, true faith will do in us what it did in Noah. If we really trust God, it will do in us what it did in Noah. It will cause us to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will not lead you toward worldliness. Amen. He will lead you toward godliness. And then God can use our right living combined with our verbal witness to convict the hearts of people. i tell you what part of the problem is why so much of the world, many in the world don't want to listen to the word of God and to preach the word today is because so many professed Christians have gone out, even preachers have gone out and lived like the world and gotten caught at it. Their hypocrisy has been known and so people say it's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites going to that church anyway. Don't be like them. We need to be just like Noah today, folks. We need to refuse to be intimidated. Amen. Now, when I don't know whether I'm right or wrong, I'm open for discussion. But if I know I'm right according to the Word of God, folks, pardon the grammar, but you ain't moving me. And we ought to be like that. Everybody in the world is going public with what they believe today. Have you noticed that? Everybody. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter whether God's word says it's sin or not. I'm going public with it. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm doing this. Well, then why can't we be public with what we believe? Amen. We still live in America. We still have freedom of speech. We don't have to be hateful in what we say. We don't have to be hateful in our speech. But why are we so silent? Listen, if the world can give its view on sin, I can give the Bible view on sin. Amen. And we ought to. There are certain sins that God says are an abomination. We ought to say it. We will put signs in our yards for political candidates. And then when it comes to Jesus, we're undecided voters. Amen. We shouldn't be that way. Don't be intimidated by the world. Faith will cause us to live holy. I don't mean holier than thou, and I don't mean sinless lives. It will cause us to live lives that are separated to God. And here's the fourth thing faith will do. Faith will make us heirs. I love this one. Faith will make us heirs. Noah became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know what an heir is. He's one who receives the portion after his parents have passed on or her parents have passed on. My children are my heirs. I'm leaving them my bills. Okay. Man came to the door the other day. He said, I'm a bill collector. I said, good, here's mine. You know. <laughs> but an heir receives a portion. And the emphasis here is on the possession. Okay. Not just that Noah is an heir of righteousness, but the possessions that he gets. First of all, Noah is a possessor of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ because he turned to God in repentance and applied the blood of Jesus by faith one day. 
by looking forward to the cross. But Noah is also a possessor of the experiential righteousness of faithful living. He could, he did live for God. Just go back to Genesis chapter 6 for a moment and look at this testimony that God gives of Noah here in Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 5 first of all. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Then look at verse 12. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way up on the earth. Verse 7, the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them but Noah. I love that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was just. He was righteous. He was complete in a good sense. Again, it talked about the moral integrity of Noah. He not only knew God, he kept his life clean. He wasn't living like those described. I read verses 5 and 12. He wasn't living like those described in verses 5 and 12. Generations talks about an age. It talks about family. He had a family history of folks who were faithful to God. His predecessors were people of faith. You know who Noah's great-grandfather was? A man named Enoch. Do you remember Enoch? You know what the Bible says about Enoch? Well, just look back to chapter 5 and there it's talking about Enoch and it says in verse 24 and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. You look over to the 11th chapter of Hebrews and look just to verse 5 there in Hebrews 11 by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. That was the great-grandfather of Noah. You know who Noah's grandfather was? A man named Methuselah. You know who Methuselah was? Oldest man to ever live. He lived 969 years. Why did he live so long? I'll tell you. The name Methuselah literally means when he is gone, it will come. Meth in Hebrew refers to death. So Methuselah, when Methuselah, you know what year Methuselah died? The year of the flood. When he is dead, it will come. God gave evidence that he was planning this flood, even in the name of Methuselah. Methuselah was a man who was faithful to God. Noah had these generations, he had this history, he had these predecessors that were faithful to God. His father's name was Lamech. Now, the scripture says Noah walked with God. You know what Noah did? Noah learned from his great-grandfather and from his grandfather and from his father faithfulness to God, service to God. Years ago, ever since I started preaching and pastoring, I've lived in parsonages. You know, that's the house the church owns that the preacher gets to live in until they get tired of him and <laughs> he has to move out, right? Well, years ago, I wanted a house. Here's why I wanted a house. I said, I need something to leave my children. You know, I'm getting older, and one of these days I'm going to die, and, you know, I don't have any money to leave them. At least if I had a house, I could sell it, and I could have a little bit to help them out in the future, and that was sort of my thinking. God supplied us a house now. But you know what? The greatest thing in the world 
that you can leave behind for your children is a legacy of faith and faithfulness to God. Leave behind a mother and a father who loved God enough to say to the children, you're going to church. <laughs> as long as you live in this house, as long as your feet are under my table, you will be in church. Amen. Leave that to your children. Because I tell you what, the scripture says, train up a child in the way it should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And the problem is, a lot of parents think that means I can wait till they're about 15, 16 years old, and then I can get serious about serving God, and then they'll be in church. No, you've waited about 15, 16 years too late. Amen. A child is 95% developed by the time they're six years old, as far as their wills and their desires and so forth. And if we don't put, you say, that's brainwashing, preacher. Well, if you don't brainwash your child for God, the world will brainwash him for the devil. I'll tell you that. Right. But put that, I, I was talking to, I guess it was Sister Crystal the other day. I said, there's a reason. And I'm glad to see the young people up here today. There's a reason I hammer on y'all. And I'm just going to be very honest and very forward with it. I love you. But I want you to understand this is serious business. This is not playtime. God is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Your friends, if they don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, will die and go to hell. They'll spend an eternity there. There's no end to eternity. And if you're a real friend, you want to be in heaven with you. This church and the future of this church may well depend upon you. I mean, you look around us, our number's not what I'd like it to be. I'm thankful and for every faithful person that's here today. I'd love to see more. We have more that could come, that should come, that don't come. But this is serious business, and that's why I just pick y'all out sometimes and talk to you like that, because I just want, oh, you say, well, that's 10 years, 20 years from now. You have no idea. It could be five years from now. Some of you... Young people, in five years, you'll be over 21. <laughs> I never dreamed that my baby girl would be 28. And I still treat her like she's 13, okay? <laughs> but that's okay. That's my privilege because I'm dead. Yeah, I can do that, right? Oh, but this is so serious. And that's why I want parents to understand this. The greatest thing you can do is leave behind this legacy. We can give our children. I posted, a memory came up on my Facebook the other day and I posted it. Your child, this is just the one that came up. Your child has a .02 possibility, percentage possibility of becoming a pro athlete. Amen. They have a 100% probability that they will stand before Jesus Christ. Amen. Either at the great white throne judgment of God or the judgment seat of Christ. It's important, folks. It's vitally important. You can give your children money and you can give them all of the stuff in the world, but if they die lost, what is it going to benefit them to have all this stuff and die without Jesus Christ? The scripture tells us that Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He didn't want heirship of righteousness to end with him. That's what. He wanted his children to be faithful to God. You know, I think when Noah heard of the coming of judgment of God, he thought, just like we should do, he thought first of his family. You know, if I heard of some disaster coming, maybe a tornado or something like that, I'd think of my family first. I'm sorry, I love y'all, but I'd think of my family first. 
I want to make sure they're safe. And I think Noah, being a human, thought of his family first. And I believe he said, I'm responsible for my family's well-being. I'm responsible for my family's salvation. At least seven other people are going to see faith at work in my life. Now, there are a whole lot more than that. But you know what seven he's talking about? He's talking about his wife, his three sons, and their wives. I'll tell you something, dads. Our children get to see us as we are at home. If we are different at home than we are at church, they will recognize the hypocrisy. One of my favorite cartoons is a little boy coming in from church. His dad's sitting there, got the TV on, probably watching a football game, baseball game, something. Got his feet propped up. And the little boy walks by and says, we learned a new word in Sunday school today, hypocrite. Son, you need to go to church. You going, Dad? No. Hypocrite. Men of faith take responsibility for their homes. And the job of a real man, a real man is to protect his family both physically and spiritually. Amen. Noah's faith influenced his daily living. To Noah, faith wasn't just something he took out on Sunday morning and took to church with him. It wasn't something he grabbed for whenever there was an emergency or whenever there was some kind of great difficulty in his life. It was real to him. I hope your faith is real to you as a child of God. And Noah is an illustration of faith at work. He believed God. He trusted God and he did what God said to do. And his faith in God silenced all the objections and took care of all the questions. By faith, Noah believed the unbelievable. By faith, Noah performed the unthinkable. Think of how big the ark had to be to hold all those animals. And God gave one man the job to build it. That's just almost impossible to think of, isn't it? And Noah declared the undeniable, repent, judgment is coming. I don't have any other message, folks. Repent. Judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming upon this present world, whether they want to believe it, whether you and I want to believe it, whether I want to preach it, God's judgment is coming upon this world. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Now verse 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come. Will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and also the works that are therein shall be burned up. You see all of this? It won't be here one day. Amen. God's going to burn it up. God's going to melt this thing down. So he says in verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? In all holy conversation and godliness. Our families and our world need to see men of faith. I'm speaking to the men right now. Men of faith, men like Noah, who will stand and share the message of God to the saving of souls and to the saving of lives. You know, I'm afraid what happens sometimes is we have to live in the world 
And sometimes we just get caught up in the world. And there's nothing wrong with having things if God provides them. But to sacrifice our service of God to have a little bit more of the world is wrong. And so we ought to just commit ourselves to God and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to be like Noah. You know, a few months ago I said, I, God used me. I prayed and asked God to use me as Elijah. I want to be an Elijah, but I also want to be a Noah. I want to be all of those in the Word of God who said, I'll follow God. Amen. I'll preach God's message. I'll live for Him. I'll do what He wants me to do. And that ought to be our desire.